Welcome back to the Fuelcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host for the Ass Basis Austin. I'm sitting down with my buddy, John Bliss. What's up, dude? Hey, man. How's it going? Do you ever go home? No, I'm always here. You know, uh, <laughs> I live to work and work to live. So that's just how we roll, you know. Uh, but guys, we're going to jump into this ad space, into the guys and gals and the folks and the companies that make this podcast available to you guys to listen to. And our first one, our first one up, like always, is Triarch Systems. Triarch. Yeah, our dudes, our peeps, and our people over at uh, Triarch, man. They make a great weapon system. Uh, one of the best I've ever used. And, I mean, they work like the well-oiled machine that they were designed to be. Yes, sir. So, uh, I know you're, you're itching to shoot Mike's Tri-11. Uh, 100%. So they were here for our grand opening, had a nice little table set up right next to the OSS suppressor guys, and they have got to had a nice little display set out. And I've seen that Tri-11 on instagram i've seen raul shoot it and i knew that mike had one man that's like my dream gun right there it's pretty sweet i'm not gonna lie man i i'm pretty fond of it i'm pretty fond of all their guns but the tri 11 i don't know what it is i i'm i like pistols more than i like shooting carbines for whatever reason i'm just a sure. nerd but dude that gun's badass yeah it's pretty funny when i fanboy more over the guns that come in than the people that come in <laughs> now that's not weird man that's why you work here so all right, guys, head over to TriarchSystems.com, use code FIELDCRAFT, and I'll save you 5% on your next build with Triarch Systems. Next up are our friends at KC Highlights. KC Highlights, Flex Era 4s just yeah. dropped recently. Yeah, they did, man. They're actually really badass. Whenever I was out in Moab, all the guys had them hooked up, and they're legit. I mean, what, they've been number one since... The big old smiley faces in the 70s? Yeah, seriously, it's insane. I mean, they're like the OG in the space and lighting up your vehicle. And especially now, it's not just your overland vehicle, but you can light up your boat, your motorcycle, your ATV, kind of really whatever you want. And not to mention the people there are freaking amazing. Some of the best people there, Ali and the gang. So head over to kchighlights.com, use code FIELDCRAFT, and it'll save you 10%. Code FIELDCRAFT. Yep. Guys, this podcast, Mike sat down with our resident uh, family preparedness, mommy preparedness lady, Amber. And, Miss uh, Amber L., is that correct? It is, yeah. She's she's pretty awesome. She actually just sent me a video today on Instagram of her singing one of my all-time favorite songs, which oh, is nice. The Climb by Miley Cyrus. So, oh. uh, yeah, I know. That's fitting. I Surprise. can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's a beautiful song. So I believe on Friday, too, she did a really cool live video of of food that she can store yeah and she was really smart in the fact that it's not just your storable food it's food that her kids and herself will actually eat yeah it's it's pretty awesome all the stuff she's doing man and i i don't mean to gas her up too much i don't mean to gas you up too much amber but um she's quite the badass you know and it's she really it's is. really cool when she can come into a company like this with all the guys here and the experiences here and she's teaching us stuff and it's not that it can't happen but right, i right. say that more to like open the eyes of everyone out there, all the moms and the families out there thinking, oh, you got to have this crazy background to do these things or do mm -hmm. that. It's not true, man. She figures it all out, you know, and um, she's super innovative with the ideas that she has and the way that she teaches it. So if you're not following her on Instagram, go over and follow her on Instagram. So Miss Amber L. Yes, sir. All right, guys, Mike and Amber L. I have the honor and privilege of sitting with Amber. Um, hello, Amber. Hello, Mike. You gotta, you gotta use. You gotta. Hello, Mike. <laughs> um, Amber's super soft spoken, but um, um, she just came here from Louisiana. Um, tell me, so you know, a lot of people are starting to see your stuff on Phil Kraus Survival's page, and what's really cool and unique about you is the fact that um, you're focused on family preparedness. Not as a hobby, but as your lifestyle. It's what you lived. Before we discovered you, before we started talking about ways to communicate that to a broader range of people, uh, you already live in that lifestyle. Tell me a little bit about like your upbringing and how you were raised in being that way. Yeah, I was just raised rural. So I, f I feel like you're more tuned into your surroundings because you have to be. And... Um, and honestly, if you're not paying attention in those rural settings, sometimes it could be a life or death scenario, right? When you're operating machinery, you're around large animals, you're out by yourself in the woods, you have to be tuned in to your environment. And so it's just the way that my dad raised us and my mom. 
Well, I, I thought, and your mom, um, I always thought, like when I talk about a lot of the things that we um, teach and train, it has to do with self-reliance. And people who are self-reliant are people who live in rural, who live in farms, on ranches, um, even in suburbia, who grow up kind of country. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a country and rural thing. Um, it, but it's, I wanted to become more mainstream. I grew up that same way. I mean, my dad um, was a redneck from Atlanta, Georgia, and I grew up uh, military-minded father, but he had a whole bunch of cool things about him. I mean, we were on the lake, we were on the ocean, we were on the river fishing all the time. And you're right, like that's a part of life, right? And when that's part of your life, you just navigate that naturally. But a lot of people, like a lot of the things that you know, I want people to know, especially people who don't have those considerations in their lives. Um, you have children, you have three children, and you evolve a lot of your life nurturing them and navigating this life that is being better prepared. Is that something that you consciously or deliberately do? Like you have to sit down and go, I need to remember to do this? Or is this something naturally that just comes to you when you're training kids? It depends on what we're talking about. But yes, at times. But I think that it has to do with my personality too. So I'm just the type of person that I like to do self-evaluation. You know, what is what is our homeschool routine looking like? What are our pain points? How can I change things? I'm just in constant reflection. And I guess when I think about my upbringing too, to kind of bring it back to what we were talking about earlier, is my parents were just very intentional with me and everything that they did. And so I took notice of my surroundings probably more than the average child just because that was so integrated into our life together. We were doing life together with an intentional outlook on the world around us. And so it just compounds. And that's the way I've taught my kids is when you're teaching them to live an intentional life, everything just builds on top of that. And before you know it, they're just naturally tuned into situational awareness or preparedness. And they're not, they're not paranoid about it. It's not the, something that scares them. It's just part of their life because you've, you've built on top of just intention and reflection and being mindful, just a mindfulness, you know? And, and I think that that, <laughs> that stands in such stark contrast to the concept of preparedness, like mindfulness and intention, but it's part of it. I like that because uh, we teach mindset as part of um, the idea to be more resilient. You have to have a better mindset and mindset it, and intention are, are hand in hand with preparedness. It starts with the person or evolving and developing and nurturing that, that person being your children. And that's how you best set them up for success and survivability. I mean, of, of, of their own security, protection, and all the things that uh, make this realm preparedness. I, um, think that, I think that I was just raised to say that there's so many things in this world to fear. But when, when we were able to look at it from a stance of, we can only control so much that's happening, but we're going to maintain as much control as we can on our end. It really just changed things. So it wasn't fear anymore. I love that. Um, so you, you didn't, I mean, you're doing this full time. You, you are um, raising your kids full time, homeschooling them, very involved in everything that's going on. But you went to school and you wanted to be a nurse. And um, what was that journey and that path? And, and how did you decide that you weren't going to do that anymore? Well, I've always been, I, I'm really committed to whatever I am, I am aiming for. And so for me, that was always academics or sports, hobbies, things like that. And so academics obviously was at the top of that. Graduated from high school, went to college. That was the only option in my mind. And then once I got married at the end of college, got pregnant, it, it all just shifted to motherhood. And so that took importance and precedence over everything else um, because I knew that I was I felt that I was the one best equipped to raise my children the way I wanted to raise them and I think that goes back to our conversation about mindset and intentionality and doing things that way 
if like when people talk about um i don't know if it's a feminist conversation or a sexist conversation um whatever the framework is when people are like well the the woman should be wherever she needs to be in her life and if that's away from the kids the household and in the grind of corporate america whatever whatever that debate and that argument is i don't even know what the debate is um but i often hear it reflected in conversations and and no emphasis what I see on um, people wanting to stay, to stay home, to, to nurture their children and and develop them, like almost like that's a bad thing. Almost like it's the crutch. And if you're doing that, then you're not succeeding. Uh, what's your just what's your overall philosophy and take on on all that? Well, I think it's exactly what you said. I think that for some reason or another, they're taking they're completely taking out of the story the concept that that woman is not necessarily a product of what society has made her believe she has to be or has forced her into. Maybe, maybe what if we look at it from the perspective of, of the fact that that woman may have chosen that. That may be what brings her joy. And, and for me, raising little human beings and impacting the world with them, through them, even in a sense, I mean, that's, that's joy to me. Um, when you look at how you're raising them in the world that we live in now with COVID-19 and all these considerations. Um, are you changing your tactics at all as you, as you start to move forward, knowing we just, we're in a pandemic, there's a whole bunch of conversations of strife and, and uh, potential conflict. Um, are you navigating the world the same or are you changing tactics a little bit to make sure that you're set up for the future? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of emotions that come into play right now and really teaching the children to to be in tune with emotions and to be able to listen to their intuition and teaching them that, that those gut feelings, they're important and they're there for a reason and they may be a primitive way of communicating with you but you need to listen to them and we need to cue into other people's emotions and that begins with making them tuned into their own emotions and making them understand what those emotions are there for what's precipitating those emotions and where those emotions will lead if they're left unchecked and so you're teaching them those feelings and what the physical response is in their body like teaching a child what anger is. I think sometimes we forget that they don't automatically know these things. It's just a feeling to them until we put a word to it, like with any anything else. And so teaching them the emotions, de- helping them define those emotions makes them understand them. And then you can bring them out into the world and they can see other people experiencing those emotions. And so that in and of itself is a way of teaching situational awareness to young children making them aware of what people's physical response look like when their emotions are changing or they're in an emotional state that may be dangerous. And so I've, I've moved my focus a little bit more to that because we do see um, such an emotionally charged society right now. Yeah, I've, I've recently been paying attention to, um, I've always been had an interest in neuroscience and brain science. And um, I've been listening to a couple podcasts and actually in contact with a neuroscientist by the name of Stephanie Fay, who who talks about um, a lot of misperceptions of anger and how everything stems from your experiences as a child, really, and how you develop and evolve, and a lot of the scar scarring that is subconscious and sometimes unconscious that we perceive in people has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with how they were raised, and I, I just like the fact that you're you're conscious to that. Because how you evolve those children, even even as niche and detail as how you communicate to them um, about basic necessities and needs and emotions, like a lot of people don't think about that. They just kind of navigate the world and hope for the best. But there are tactics to use to best optimize that experience and to fulfill your child's life so they have the best chance of success in the future. And I think that's what to me, that's what preparedness is. It's at the root of it. It's like start. It starts with our children. It starts with the kids. Um, we had talked about a lot of things and how this was going to evolve when you started communicating about preparedness and some of the good and some of the bad. And we're we're some months into this now. How has the overall impact been for you 
talking to people? It's been incredible. I've had really great conversations with people. Um, 99% of them, very positive, very positive. And, and, and I can, I can say that the people that may be saying things in a negative light, it's just from a lack of understanding and it's normally their insecurities rearing up. And, um, and I love people like that. I do love people and I, I want to help people. And so I don't just immediately find an offense to that. I know that they're triggered by something else. And normally after I have a conversation with them, just trying to get to the bottom line of why they feel the way they do, they'll, they'll open up and come around and say, you know, that they see an understanding of it, but Hmm. It's just a lack of education, to be honest. Yeah, I think uh, pe- people misunderstand the concept and the idea in the first place. Or I mean, they've had a bad experience. Yes, I, I think bad experiences play into that because when, I mean, when there's there's people on the planet Earth who have never been grossly affected, or or maybe even grossly affected by trauma, and my purpose in all of this is to empower people to be the best version of themselves to have the highest probability of success. And I think success for me is measured in overcoming obstacles and adversity. So when, when, when I understand, because I've experienced it, and this is, I'm, I'm speaking in metaphors here, but when, when somebody understands or I understand um, because I've experienced something and I'm trying to pass that information off to somebody else so they don't have to experience a lot of that is lost because people, you know, selfishly and very humanly want to experience it for themselves because they don't believe it until they actually experience it. Um, but there are ways to navigate this thing that is preparedness to be set up for the best chances of success. And the cool thing that we're doing is, even in the content we did this morning, is making it not seem as scary for people who might be intimidated by the idea of doing something um, aggressive or different or foreign. Um, You have been talking to a lot of people about their level of preparedness. And I noticed like a lot of women are reaching out to you and asking questions, which I think is so impactful. That's, that's, that's exactly what we want to see. What are some things that you hear um, routinely in the Q and a that you think we should address? I think a lot of people, a lot of women especially, have a misunderstanding of what carrying a gun should look like and what their rights are to carry a gun. They feel like maybe it's because in their network it's very much taboo and would be frowned upon, and so they're very nervous about how to initiate that. Like, Does that affect their friend groups? Do they have to ask permission to carry in front of someone else's children? How do they carry safely around their children? Why would they carry around their children? And, and, and sometimes it's as simple as just giving someone a scenario, which I don't know if you notice, but I try to give lots of applicability when I post, like this is what this scenario looks like. And sometimes I have it like fed in and pretty words throughout my, my, um, the caption of my post, but I'm trying to show you a scenario where you would utilize something so that it's not just a, a foreign concept it becomes concrete i like that well well people people have to imagine themselves in the circumstance in order for them to get it for the most part and i do that automatically and i think you probably do that that's the way i reflect but i'm i we have to understand i think that not everybody does that some people have to be fed that that vision they don't automatically sit down and and go through these scenarios in their heads to come up with a situation that would make it rationalized yeah i I recently was told um by a a professional i respect that they would never touch a gun and i respect this person so much it doesn't even matter to me but it it scares me for them because uh, we've talked about it even this morning one of the one of the reasons why i think it's important especially for women to consider carrying a firearm but even it's more than that right there's so much more than that but when we talk about firearms, because that is the one tool that's going to allow them to level the playing field against a violent offender. We're, and again, like most people, most people misunderstand this idea and this concept, which is uh, preparedness, because they think we're placating or pandering um, to the conflict, like fear mongering. 
the only thing I'm doing in consideration is is trying to navigate what the worst case scenario is. Because the worst case scenario plays out every single day in, in our country, in our world. And there's a lot of places in, in, that I've been in the world where if you have a gun, the power of a gun, um, you could create uh, an organization, a militia, um, a, a terrorist group to overthrow the government, to take over a neighborhood, to take power and control um, over people. And that's scary. We, we do it when we go in special operations missions and we facilitate an, an indigenous population, maybe that's oppressed, and we train them and we equip them and we empower them. And then we give them tactics and tools and ways to prepare. And then they fight that oppression. So that, that's a gross example. So now I'm just dealing in the microcosm of an individual's rights and freedoms. The reality is there's a, we live in a world where there are evil people in our society. If you want the proof of that, um, I encourage you to download the Sex Offender app and look at the people in your own community. Um, and there's many. The red dots will look like cancer. And you'll realize very quickly that you're surrounded by evil. Now, are those people doing violent um, crimes all over the city? Maybe, maybe not, but they did at one point. I mean, hurting or raping a child is, uh, uh, to me, a murderous offense, like, like an executable offense. So when we, when, we, when we navigate the realities and we just simply state the statistics, then what I'm afraid people don't realize is they are setting themselves up in a matter of only time to be the victim with no chances of redemption or change. Because the reality is if you are brutalized being a 120 pound woman, five foot nothing, you, you, you would not be able, not you. <laughs> How much do you weigh? You're like 105. One, 105. Then you, you don't have a chance standing. I don't care what Kung Fu class you went to, what combatives course you've taken, you have no chance of um, being able to combat that. But if you have a pistol and you're trained with that firearm, uh, not only do you have a chance, but you have a high probability of surviving and winning because the, the, the alternative is losing. And losing looks like trauma and or death. And I don't wanna see that to happen to anybody. And we live in a rule, you know, a law, uh, a, a wonderful country of laws and regulations that protect us. Um, but because of the liberty and freedom we have, it's one of our God-given rights, which is independence and freedom and liberty um, to be able to defend for ourselves uh, without government inter intervention. Uh, I don't need SEAL Team 6 to come and rescue me because I, I have that self-reliance in myself, and that's important. Um, when you when you looked at uh, concealing a pistol um, with all woman and mom considerations, what are some things that you noticed in trying to navigate that world? Because it's, it's very different than a guy. The show is brought to you by our new sponsor, BetterHelp Online. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fieldcraft. That gives you a 10% off your first month. Now, listen guys, 2020, 2021, Oh man, it's been a rough year for all of us. I know that we really preach teaching better health and what better way than mental health. You guys better, better help online. What they do is an online therapy and it's a great place for you to log on, deal with your depression, anxiety, addiction, stress, mental health struggles. We all face some sort of it. And after a year like this, man, hop on there, go find somebody, go talk, take care of yourself. And uh, when you become a better you by taking care of yourself, you're better for everybody else around you. Yeah, and, and the seasons, your seasons of motherhood change rather quickly. You know, in the newborn stage, you're navigating possibly breastfeeding. And so you are in physical contact, holding a baby to your chest um, constantly. And so concealing a gun may be difficult in that, in that manner, um, especially with accidentally maybe showing it showing your gun like as you're lifting your shirt to feed your baby. And I know these are like so not tactical 
concepts, but you have you have to think about what that looks like in reality for for a mom. And so um, the way you carry may have to shift during those seasons when you're carrying a baby in a baby carrier. You're, you carry using a retention band around your waistline, and then you've also used um, like spandex shorts that allows you to retain that pistol in the holster against your body. Um, and, and that's helped, right? Because it's helped reduce the print and allows you to carry appendix or center line of your waistline um, so you don't print. We, we just explained that this morning to some guy because he's like, he didn't get it. Um, do you find that the most comfortable means of caring? I do, yes, I do now. Um, now we have talked about if I were to still be carrying a baby in a baby carrier on my chest that I would have to change that position and have the gun in my back pocket. I mean, in the back of my pants. Yeah, I, I think um, that's a sound tactic, right? The sound tactic is if, if you have a child like, like when I was in GRS, um, you just got to watch 13 Hours in Benghazi. I, I texted you the thing. But um, my job was protecting case officers. So a case officer who doesn't have a lot of tactical training and experience, um, I am defending their life. I am their, I am their bodyguard. So I would put the case officer behind me and then be the shield and the defense to be able to put that gun in between him uh, and her and or her, her uh, and the threat. And so when I think of a baby who's vulnerable, very vulnerable, physically um, vulnerable in s sitting or laying across your chest, either tethered in or, or tethered out, uh, where you're just holding it with one arm, um, the best practice in concept to me is to turn your body and use your physical body to protect, and then allow yourself to um, draw that pistol off the backside of uh, your pants to be able to immediately bring that pistol up in front um, of that threat between you and, and the baby. Um, that's one tactic, right? It's blading your body and pushing off. Um, another one is carrying appendix carry, but being prepared to clear space. And clearing space, I mean clearing the baby, like literally moving him up or her up out of the way and clearing that space and presenting that gun. But again, look, if you're defending life, you're the shield. Mm -hmm. uh, you're the mama, no matter who you are, and protecting the that innocent life. Well, and I think that's why the compression shorts to me are so helpful because they hold it a little tighter in to where you may not have that discomfort of that, um, your clips the clips from the holster on your pants rubbing against the legs of the baby or something they're contained on that on the compression shorts and so you have that extra layer does that make sense yeah it does completely i and think people have to see or well, understand it's that. it's it's funny when i see I, i've seen somebody do this on social media before where they showed an example of carrying the child and then drawing their pistol and and i and people were so offended by it yeah and and people like, number one, when you're a woman, um, you're in a more, more vulnerable population. It's statistically proven that women are more often the victims of, of uh, sexual assault and violence than men. And, and you're also, when you're holding a child, because criminals e exploit weakness and vulnerability. And you're you, distracted. Yeah, you're, you're at your most vulnerable when you're taking care of a child. Uh, whether that's petty crime or assault, like when your life is in danger, your life's in danger, and there's no there's no scale to that danger. There's a criteria in my mind, and if you meet that criteria, it doesn't mat matter the scale. If you're a really really bad guy versus a bad guy, you, you're you're a threat to my life or my child's life, and you've already met the flipping of the switch in in, in which I um, use my particular tactic. What's another question that you get? What what would their considerations be if they were overweight? Really? Yeah. Do you actually get that? Mm -hmm. So that's look sixty. I think it's seventy percent of America is overweight. There's a large um, number of people in the United States who are uh, morbidly obese, and 
that is a consideration. I'm surprised you're getting that question. But it, well, I, I feel I feel very honored that they feel yeah. safe enough to ask that. And I love the fact that they can ask that and we can answer that question for them because could you imagine walking into a gun shop and asking that, you know? Yeah. It takes a lot of courage. It does. Um, but that's easily addressable. I, I there's, uh, there's some populations that I've looked at, including uh, those who are physically disabled, on the best means of practice um, for drawing a pistol, and typically it's through a bag. Um, I recommend a messenger-style bag, one that slings across your body from right or left shoulder and across, where you could swing it in front of you and be able to draw that firearm. That's super uh, important because if you are uh, overweight and your stomach or abdomen is over that holster and pinning that in place, one, it's dangerous because of the pressure that's constantly pushed on the firearm, which most likely will pitch the gun in towards your body. And also the draw. I mean, when you're trying to draw around uh, your body, it is difficult. Make it easy. Put it in a bag and practice out of that bag. I, I recommend retaining that holster inside the bag so that when you pull the pistol, the holster stays in the bag and, and doesn't come out with it. That's super important. Yeah. And if, I mean, if you have just a, a good quality clip on your holster, you could clip that to a pouch inside of your purse. Yes. Yeah. Well, in fact, our new holster, our Tenacore holster, which is the one that we did, uh, we had this morning, that fits your Glock 40, 48, 43X. It fit, right? Mm -hmm. um, we should sh we should do a video on that. Yeah. How could, we could retain it in a bag. Yeah, we'll get you that holster too. And so, you know, the backpack yeah. trend, a lot of women like to carry backpacks. Yeah. They'd, I mean, they'd have to sling it completely around, but it's an option. Yeah, a lot of people have told me that there's an argument there. And the argument is, well, when you're going to draw your pistol, um, you don't have the time to, to stage it and then manipulate it. That's a misnomer because... Um, there are exceptions, right? The exceptions are immediate threats that present themselves in, in speed um, and you don't have the time. But if you are staging, if you have situation awareness and you're proactive in your environment, then you are seeing and staging as uh, need be leading up to something going immediate. That, that rule of thumb or that train of thought is something that I live by. I, I have a, a bag that's everyday care for me that I use constantly that's loaded down with all of my gear and equipment. Um, what else you got? You got a whole long list of stuff right there. I do have a list. Um, people have questions about how to introduce situational awareness to their children. I think they think that it's such a contrasting concept, and I use that word a lot, but it's true. They just think it's something that's gonna run very perpendicular to the life they live right now. And so I really, I just really want to give that clarity to people and helping them understand that it's not. It's as simple, introducing situational awareness for yourself and your children is as simple as walking down the street with your children and just not being on your phone and saying, oh, do you see that red car? You know, let's turn around and look behind us. Like, what did we pass up? How far have we come? You know, look how far we've, we've come. Do you see that? see the lights on on that car right there that means that they'll be backing up soon possibly so we want to make sure we're not behind the car we want to stay in front of the car i like that you know it's just you're living life you're connecting more with your children and you're focusing on the present and like that doesn't sound tactical in the least bit but you're piquing their interest and you're peaking their mind to look at the world around them. And then they will just naturally start to do that. You had talked to me about the pistol concept with um, introducing, like educating your child on, hey, this is a pistol. Mm -hmm. This is dangerous, but this is the rules of safety. Um, you know, we, the, we use the four firearm um, uh, safety rules and also how you have to be proactive because kids by nature are, in, are inquisitive. Mm -hmm. And the more, you know, the more, um, that you make it not that big of a deal. Because uh, if you're like, oh, don't touch that, and they continue to see it, they're gonna wanna touch it more. I remember my own habits as a child, seeing my dad's duty gun, and I always wanted to touch it. 
But when he told me and he showed me and he taught me, I was like, wow, that's really dangerous. I don't want to touch that because it's not a toy. Mm -hmm. And then I learned. You, you buy into that argument as well, right? And you teach your kids. 100%. And I, it plays out in so many different scenarios with my kids. And, you know, I'm with my kids all of the time. I'm their primary educator. And so I can just see the fruit of what that looks like in their life when it comes to anything. And, and I, wrote a, I wrote a blog post um, for Fieldcraft on this. And I can't wait for it to drop because I think it's going to really explain things to parents so that they can understand how children learn. And it's, it's going to be a game changer because not only does it open up that door for that relationship between parent and child, giving the parent a deeper understanding of how to teach their children, but at the same time, parents who may not be well-versed on a topic are going to be getting education while they're educating their children and and it's very basic it's you have to teach them the terminology first you have to introduce them to the words and the grammar of the subject matter so imagine teaching a three telling a three-year-old not to touch guns don't touch guns do they know what a gun is do they know the variations of a gun they're gonna want to touch it more and more and well more. well what gun have they seen yeah it, just a handgun like what if they encounter a shotgun yeah, completely different operating system and or cycle of operation system, and yeah, that's. I, I like the idea of a, a holistic approach and teaching them all firearms. Like, what what age do you think it's appropriate to do something like that? Um, I start everything with my children very young. So I mean, at two years old, I started. I mean, at one years old, my my youngest knew as I was teaching her older brothers and sisters what a gun was. Now, was she able to access a gun? No, but she just learned that terminology. So I can't ever pinpoint a time where she suddenly knew what a gun was or realized what it was because it was just a natural part of our normal conversations. And I really encourage people to have those conversations consistently in their home. If you're going to have guns and you want to be a gun owner, the responsibility in that is making sure that you are having the ongoing communication with your entire family. That's the key, right? Consistency. Consistency. I like that. I mean, think about reproduction education in schools and why people talk about why it's so invalid and doesn't work. Well, because you can't teach a child, which they're still children, something one time and then never talk about it again. Yeah. You have to have that open dialogue with them. Yeah. And so for me, it's just constantly teaching the children about gun safety. And we did a video this morning on the four gun rules and, and just going over those creates such a great umbrella of protection and you're having the communication you're letting them see the guns it's not some forbidden some forbidden uh, thing that they just are obsessed with seeing because you've hidden it from them and you you've the, made it such a contraband fruit yeah <laughs> don't touch the don't don't bite the apple um so these could be dining room conversations you know guys what would you do if you went to play at a dining room around the dining room table do you guys eat dinner together at the same table? Yeah. I mean, I, I cook all my children's meals, so. What? That's weird. <laughs> so weird. You're a freak. What else you got? Let's do two more. Okay. How long should someone practice before they should feel comfortable enough to carry a gun? So, look, I, I, I actually, I do remember me carrying for the first time and how nerve-wracking that was. Even as a, a young infantry guy, I was carrying... I was in the infantry when I was legal enough to, um, legal enough, <laughs> of legal age to carry a pistol. And I remember it was, it was nerve wracking, like not understanding how things worked and tied together. The biggest thing for me is confidence by gun handling. You know, it's something that we teach at Philcraft, which is if, if you have a gun, spend time getting to handle your gun and understand how it works and operates. Because the more, you understand how something works, the more confidence you have in handling and managing uh, the manipulation and the orientation, the barrel. Um, I, like I see, for example, a lot of people who load, unload, and clear their pistols, they hold them very low and almost away from their entire body because they're scared of it and they're holding to the dirt. But that distance, which is the length of my arm away from my face, is to me a liability because I, I can't see what potential things could harm me, like a bullet in the chamber. So I want people to bring the gun up into their workspace, like this imaginary box in front of their face. Because if I have the firearm in line with my eyes, 
barrel oriented up and out and away, I could take that pistol and I could actually orient it and figure out, okay, now I safely can see, which builds that confidence again. So I think it's so important that people spend time holding, touching, feeling, and getting used to how the cycle works. There's great YouTube videos on cycle of operation, on you know the slide reciprocates and combustion takes place and you get extraction and ejection and breach loaded breaches and all these things are important because when you when you understand that you reduce the the missing link in your head that is replaced with anxiety or fear and it builds confidence well and like i said introducing grammar to children and defining things it's the same with adults and so if it's your first time with a gun you need to understand the parts of the gun how the gun works because if you have no bullet in the gun and you don't have the magazine loaded, it's an absolutely, absolutely safe piece of metal. It's literally a piece of metal. It can't do anything. Yeah, it's a mechanical tool. Yeah. And so just practicing with that, dry firing, practicing Racking all the movements. The slide, yes. the practice. Aiming, you, you can't, you, you cannot, factually, you cannot hurt anyone with an empty gun. Yeah, even a loaded gun that's sitting there and not doing anything. It, it's a mechanical tool. A lot of these, a lot of the parameters that are built into guns that are um, actually sold are going through this arduous process of just safety and manipulation. These guns don't go off by themselves. They don't go off when they're dropped. They're drop-safe guns. And you can get dummy rounds. You could buy um, dummy rounds that you could load actually load a magazine, put in your gun and load and extract and eject when you rip the slide to the rear, or pull the slide to the rear. So there's there's ways to do that. I would say the go criteria for me to be okay, like I, let's start carrying, is when you feel safe, when you feel confident because of how you're safe, um, th then that's the criteria. And that, and that could happen for some people very fast and some other people it takes a longer time. Having the proper holster to make sure that the trigger guard is shrouded and protected with a proper amount of retention is also important. Yes, okay. if your gun is in a holster and you're carrying around your children, you are safe. Absolutely. The trigger will not be accidentally. Well, some guy who accredited himself with having 10 years of experience um, as a law enforcement officer and all this stuff, he actually said, he, he said to me on a comment, which I thought was funny, he said that um, if you're carrying an appendix carry, then you're not following one of the rules of firearm safety, which is never point a loaded gun at, it, it, don't point a loaded gun at anything that you, you're not willing to destroy. So if you're pointing the gun in a holster down at the ground, that's not pointing it at yourself, especially an appendix carry. Like I grew up in the military and special operations appendix carrying, I've carried all over the world with my peers who have carried all over the world. And that idea comes from an institution, which I won't even say is institution because I don't want it, this to be embarrassing for him. But again, it's miseducation. It's people not understanding the realities of carry, how they're configured, and then the realities of the time you don't have to fight and, and win a gunfight. All right, guys, we're going to interrupt this podcast just one more time and talk to you about another one of our sponsors. And that sponsor is Element. Element is a drink mix that is taking over the world. With Element, you can f get back those valuable electrolytes back in your body after fasting, after a workout, help you fight the keto flu, fight carb cravings, and kickstart your morning to help you with that mid-morning grogginess that, ugh, that we all kind of feel early on in our days. So Element has zero sugar, zero artificial ingredients, and no coloring. Many professional athletes, including different leagues like the NBA, NFL, uh, the weightlifting team for USA, and there's a few SEAL teams and some other tactical teams for the Marine Corps, the FBI sniper teams, tons and tons more actually starting to switch over to Element and use that to fight those very same things. So Element will send you a sample pack that includes eight packs of assorted flavors, 
All you have to pay is the shipping, which here in the U.S. is around $5 or so. You don't want to miss this offer. It's exclusive for our Fieldcraft Survival Podcast listeners. So, guys, they take a lot of pride in their no BS customer service. Uh, we've been using Element here for a while, and we're loving it. And I guarantee you guys will love it, too. So head down to the show notes, go to that link, and get your sample packs. Back to the podcast. Well, and we talked to about just the shape of a woman's hip and how if you tilt your pelvis forward a little bit as you're holstering your gun, you aren't flagging your body. If you're tilting your pelvis back, then yes, you are. So it's these little things, these little tips. Yeah, just the tips. Mm -hmm. One more question. So a lot of people are curious about how they would go about educating their young adults, their young adult daughters and sons. A late teenager daughter and sons on carrying being confident wanting to carry especially since they're going off to college and for the most part we have this um you know a really liberal mindset that runs rampant on college campuses and so the backlash that they may get from that community yeah that, not to say liberal in the sense that what co- plenty liberal of liberals arts, have guns yeah, but i mean college are, are typically typically liberal right the most liberal anti-2a Oh yeah, they they have they it's, they are extreme. It's factual. I mean, yeah. Um, Why well, I, I look at that and I, I go, one as an adult, like if you don't have the skill sets because you haven't developed the skill sets, and it's something that you feel is important, like empowering your child who's going off to college to be better prepared, then you need to take the time to professionally develop yourself or personally develop yourself to be at least the advocacy for development, the advocacy for the right answer. That doesn't mean you have to be the expert. That just means you have to be the advocate. So if, if it's, for example, somebody who has no expertise, they've been caring for a little while and they wanna encourage their daughter or son to carry, then it could be anybody in their family. They need to source the subject matter expert, which I think is us in, in a lot of ways when it comes to this kind of stuff. And, and start educating their children on how to do that properly. Because like you said, a lot of it's not the technicalities, a lot of it's the mindset. If, if you're caring, here's, here's, here's a question that I've asked many of my students that take everyday carry prepped courses with us. And I asked them, what is your criteria to you? Actually, let's, let me ask you this, this will be fun. What is your criteria? What is your criteria in your mind to draw your pistol out of your waist belt and point it at somebody and use deadly force. What is the criteria in your in your mind that's literal for you, that's that's visceral for you? For me, either I see them actively holding a weapon, coming towards me with their weapon, or they are coming at me. And 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 for me, this is using using situational awareness and using my understanding of what body language is like. Um, Drugs are rampant in the United States and, and I live near an interstate. And so for me, that is, that's one of my, the main scenarios that goes through my head is somebody that is, I mean, have you seen somebody? Oh yeah. I mean, there's yeah. supernatural strength. Yes, absolutely. Especially on PCP and exactly. heroin. Yeah. Um, if someone's coming at me in a, in a very volatile, aggressive nature, and I know that they, as soon as they get their hands on me, they will overpower me. Yeah. And we were talking about this this morning. You could have me incapacitated in a moment, in, a, in seconds. I'm a small person. I have to level out the playing field. And so, I mean, that is my, that's my line in the sand. So what if the person has a gun in their waistband and they actually lift up their shirt and they're standing 10 feet from you and you see a pistol in their waistband and they're threatening you and they say, hey, you better not move, because if you move or do anything crazy, I want to shoot and kill you. Um, just follow my instructions and listen to what I say. What is your mind going through right now? I personally don't want to de-escalate a situation. I, I feel like that's the job of the police officers and, and the authorities. So, I mean, there is the part of me that wants to believe that I could get away from this scenario, but if this person, for me, like looking at this reflectively, if this person is bold and brazen enough to threaten me in that manner and they are having a firearm and they're showing it to me, it's time for me to pull my firearm so you just would, because I'm with my children. I can't, re- if I'm, if I get taken out, my children are completely helpless. So I like how you think about the worst case scenario, cause that's the right mindset, right? The, the right mindset. 
a lot of people who don't have the right, right mindset because they are coming from a position of comfortability, right? They're, it's very convenient for somebody to say, well, why didn't they shoot them in the leg? How come they use deadly force? Well, if you were in that position and you were fending for your life based on doing your job or living your life in free society, would you take that chance? And, and most often because of the negligence and misunderstanding of how these things happen, they would say, yeah, like, a, like I wouldn't want to kill somebody. Nobody wants to kill anybody. This is not the argument or the debate. The, the debate is, are you willing to take the chance on losing your life or your family's lives because of your neglect or your indecision and neglect in the worst, most catastrophic circumstances in, in, in possibly in your lifetime? So let me ask you this. If... Because I'm, I'm curious to know this about you as well. So that person lifts up their shirt and they show you the back strap of a gun and they say, I'm going to kill you. And then you go to reach for your gun and you're using that gun to defend your life. Um, and, then, and then they raise their hands in the air and they say, please don't kill me. I have a family. What, what are you going to do? I would, keep, I would keep my gun on them, but... It would depend on the situation. If if the cavalry was on its way or there were people So there's nearby. no cavalry on the way? There's no cavalry on the so way. So there's no cavalry on the way. You're in a gas station. It's two in the morning. Your kids are inside the car. The door is open on the driver's side and you're standing there in the open. He's at the end of the car, so he's maybe a, a total of 10 feet away. And he's standing at the back of the trunk, meaning he has an egress to the right or the passenger side. Uh, so he can get around to the side of your car and you'd be in a race to lock the door. But he immediately raises his hands and says, please don't kill me. And you have a gun and you have no reception. What are you going to do? I think I would ask him to throw his gun off to the side or throw it in a, in a place where I feel like it was far enough away from him. So, so you would ask him to remove the gun from his waistband? Mm -hmm. Okay. Throw it. Okay. Make sure he doesn't have any other gun or anything else he can use. How would you do that? Just ask him to show me. Because he'd show you if you had a gun? <laughs> no, like pick up your shirt. Okay. Take your shirt off. I don't take your pants off. This is such a difficult scenario. Yeah. And I would, I would then get in my car once I felt safe and drive off very what, quickly. What's the criteria for you to feel safe? Is it distance? Mm, once I felt like he had shown me and proven to me that he didn't have quick access to something that he could use to, to hurt me yeah. or to stop me. Yeah. And then I could quickly get into my vehicle and get away. That's slow. So do you want me to kill him? No, no, no. Let's go back. I don't okay. want you to tell me what I'm supposed to do. No, there is no right answer here. I, I just think it's important. Well, to, if someone to shows me their gun and they threaten me, I, I don't have as much training as you. I, I have some training with a handgun, but I don't want this guy to get the drop on me. I am still in a position where I can get the drop on him. So are we recanting our statement? Are we going back? No, to I'm, I'm explaining why I would pull my gun in the first place. Like no, I, I would that. pull my gun because I am still, I have the upper hand in this moment. He threatened me with a gun. He probably doesn't think I have one. So I'm going to pull mine so and you, be in control. Quote unquote. So when you, situation. when you, um, so when you pulled your gun and then you shot him, he was injured. And when he was injured um, and the police came, they'd had no audio and they had no, they actually had no uh, witnesses because your children were sleeping. And then the cameras that saw you only saw a man approach you and he asked you for directions. And then you pulled your gun on him and then you shot him while his pistol was in his waistband and he never presented himself as a threat to you. And it's your word against his. And the camera shows and proves that he didn't have a firearm in his hand. In fact, he raised his hands as you were pulling your gun on him and you shot him. And luckily for him, he lived to, to fight another day. But then you go to prison for the rest of your life because well, let's call it seven years because that's, a, that's a, a, an average term for manslaughter. Um, the reason I, I entertain this conversation because a lot of people don't understand that when you are under stress, and this scenario is based in no stress. There's maybe anxiousness because we're trying to form the right um, answer or what we perceive as the right answer. Um, that when you're under stress and you're sympathetic, your, your, your central nervous system is activated, your sympathetic nervous system is act activated, then you're in a di different state of consciousness completely. 
So one thing that people misunderstand about how this operates is your autonomic system, the system that allows you to run on autopilot. Um, once it goes from parasympathetic, when it's socially engaging somebody saying, hey, hey, I don't want a problem here. Like, please back up away from me. It's assessing whether this is a threat or non-threat, a dangerous or safe place. And then when we go into that, you know this because you, you have some medical experience, the cortisol and the adrenaline are flushing us. It's shunting blood because it wants to get to our primary uh, muscle groups. And it's making us narrowly focus on the threat so we can get ourselves out of it, whether that's fight, flight, or even freeze. Well, it's, it's, re, it's, it's, it's consolidating your blood, your blood flow and everything to the organs that need it in order for you to survive. Yes. So when that happens, we're not in the right state of consciousness, meaning we're not thinking through cognitively as we would think through. So even as you say it, one thing I'm afraid that happens with people is when I put them in these scenarios for real, in a scenario, they don't have the time or they at least in, in, in observation, in hindsight say, they didn't have the time to stop themselves during their draw stroke because they trained the draw stroke 100 times or maybe 10,000 times on a range because they wanna be technically proficient. But we're autonomic, we're developing an automatic uh, process for using muscle memory, which is a bad term, but of drawing the pistol and then shooting the pistol fast and accurately. So when you pull the gun and then you put on the brakes, one, it's not likely that you would put on the brakes because you're not trained like a police officer's trained to mitigate risk. You're trained to fight for your life. So then when that person gives you an out, if you're a bad guy and you want an out and you want to survive, then you're probably going to do things like that. So there's not a right answer or a wrong answer. There's just a, there's a conversation that needs to be had and navigated so you understand the tactics. You could exercise every scenario that uh, even that I just uh, talked about and practice um, the ins and outs. But again, you wouldn't come up with a 100% soluble solution. It just wouldn't happen. Because that person, as they surrender, they don't want to die. Or do they? Or do they not want to die so they could uh, they call your bluff? You get, that person at 10 feet can close the distance on you in less time that it takes you to draw your pistol, even pull your trigger in some cases, depending on where your finger's staged. So it's a game of like milliseconds. And if their mind isn't sober, whether that's mentally or they're on any type of substance. Yeah. Imagine if they're it. on substance and they just got out of jail and they're on probation and they don't want to go back to prison because they want to feed their family. And they were just trying to jack you to get paid so they could feed their family or get their blow or whatever it is. So meaning they're desperate and they're in a different state of psychology than you, uh, where you're trying to rationalize, they're completely rational and they're just looking for the opportunity. The only, let me see, the only misstep is maybe when you pull the gun and you stop them and they raise their hands, create distance. Because the one thing that we can control in that circumstance that's, that's going to give us an advantage is distance because of time. So if you displace yourself or forced him to displace where you, where you yelled at him to back up as far away as possible as he could, you're giving yourself every advantage because the more time you have, the more opportunity you have. And, and um, even when he says, uh, do you have another gun? Trying to be cognitive in that state and him be in that state where he has a gun pointed at him is not going to happen. Even if you're cognitive enough to state it, unless he's been had a lot of guns pointing at him before, he's probably not going to rationalize that, and he's going to get irrational. And then he's going to take a misstep, which is going to force you to probably use deadly force in the first place. One rule of thumb that I developed, even as a young special operations guy before I killed the first person I killed in combat, was that if I drew my pistol, or if I drew my gun, or if I lifted my gun and the criteria was made, I wasn't shutting that down. Because that system, he already met the criteria and I was gonna use deadly force because I understood when it started, it would only be milliseconds before it ended. And so what I see is a lot of people um, hesitating or creating a decision point to, to stop themselves because of whatever rationality and that misstep causes them to lose their life or, or to lose the fight. Um, that's interesting, isn't it? it yeah, it, I think. It, well, I think it's places people don't want to go. Moms don't want to go. Yeah, 
But it, it, it takes place in a conversation. But you know what? I don't want to end up in the, that scenario and never have walked through at least some variant of it in my mind. We'll do that more. I think it's important. Well, I just, I feel like there's value in that. And I, I wish people understood that better rather than being so scared of it. March 13th here at uh, Philcraft HQ, me and Kevin Owens are running our first um, decision point concealed carry tactics course that addresses that. The first 90 minutes is a conversation in a scenario, taking each person through a scenario and uh, it's choose your own adventure. There's no wrong, there's no right. It's us navigating it together. And what I found most impactful, that conversation alone is 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 worth so much more than the technical training of repping something that you could rep on your own. Um, and people don't have that conversation. Yeah, and I mean, if you are a woman listening to this, just feel encouraged to seek somebody out that is a safe place to have a conversation like this. And if you're a man, just be gentle. Be, encur- be an encourager. Women are so intimidated um, because they're not experts immediately. I do, I hear that a lot. People feel like they're being judged or they just feel really self-conscious because their partner or their father is so much more adept with a gun than they are. So I think if we just all are a little more encouraging, the conversation will happen more. I like that. What's your, um, your handles? Miss ms.amber.l-e-l-l-e. Uh, that's Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. What else you got? That's it. That's it? I mean... The blog's coming too, right? Yeah. What's the blog? www.amber-l.com. Amber-l-e-l-l-e. E-l-l-e. Mm-hmm. Dot com. Amber, thank you so much. You're welcome.